You know, the truth is, as I said last week, there's a lot of stuff that happens this time of year that are built around traditions, that are uh, time with family, things that we do with our kids. And I think a lot of what we get to experience at Christmas and what the what sort of happens in the culture around us, a lot of it is pretty harmless and can be engaged in um, by uh, people who love Jesus. Okay? A lot of it. Not all of it. But... I do think that I want to help you as we spend time here together uh, in God's house to remember and really walk through this time of year with the focus that we need. The reality is that Christmas is not about the gifts we give or receive. It's not about the, the times that we share with family, though those things are important. But really what Christmas is about for those of us that follow Jesus and love him, it's about the fact that Jesus came to the earth And was born in a humble manger or placed in a manger and was, uh, came to the earth. God became flesh, right? And so that's what the season's all about. And I want to help keep us focused on that. So as we walk into this time of year and we spend time with family, we spend time with friends, we're around people that are being consumed and agitated by this season. And unfortunately, the pressures and stress that it oftentimes brings that we can walk through it with a focus, with a sense of peace and joy, a real appreciation for what this time of year brings. If we're not careful, we can be like everyone else and get sucked into all the drama that occurs and all the pressure that's put on us and the pressure to meet expectations, whether they're our own or our kids or our families, all this stuff. And it it just becomes a negative, and that's where we've got to be careful. I think we do have the freedom to engage the season in this culture and enjoy it, but we got to be careful. Otherwise, it will take us off track completely. We'll lose sight of what Christmas really is about. And so going to try to help you with that. We've got a series, Light of the World, that we've been going through. And today, the title of the message is Come Into the Light. Seems like any time God uh, is involved in the affairs of human beings where God comes uh, and speaks to us, appears uh, to us, reveals something. Seems like light is always involved. Light is always a part of it. And um, in the Christmas story that we read in the scriptures, the, there are a number of different ways in which light uh, appears. One of them is like last week we talked about when... Um, the angel appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord was all around them and they were terrified. So very bright light that was terrifying um, to them was representing the glory of the Lord, the presence of God. But there's another light that we see in the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth, and that is a light that appeared in the sky. Um, we find out, uh, if, if we read Matthew's gospel, that there, was, there were some wise men in the east They had been watching the skies. They've been looking for a sign of a coming king. And they see one as a light, or they call, uh, it's translated for us, a star appears in the sky. And the reality is that in our story of Christmas, there is a light that draws the magi to the king. You know, um, these men were wise men. They were uh, astrologers. They were men that watched the, the stars. And they were, their job was to give wisdom to kings. And so they would be those that would give advice and counsel to men of great power in the world. And it was their job to give them direction, to give them some insight. Sometimes they would dabble in things that were um, on the dark side, but that wasn't necessarily the case. 
We know that from the scriptures that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a part of uh, the wise men. They were counted as wise men or part of this group of magi who gave counsel to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Uh, The word magi, which again in a lot of our translations, um, it just says wise men, but the Greek word is magi. And so this is who they were. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego served under um, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And this is because in 605 BC, before Jesus, um, Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem and he took them captive. He conquered Jerusalem because God allowed him to. And the Israelites, about 10,000 of them were taken by Nebuchadnezzar to live in Babylon and to serve in his, um, in his empire. And so um, Daniel was one of those people. Daniel became what was known as wise men or magi in his court, as I said. And so Daniel had the opportunity to be a part of giving counsel to kings. Daniel also um, wrote, and um, through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophesied about the coming Messiah. If you read the book of Daniel, much of the book of Daniel is attributed to prophecy, either that has already taken place, some that has not yet. And so Daniel knew about the coming Messiah. Obviously, he was a Jewish man. He knew the one true God, creator of the universe. And so he knew, though, that a king was coming. And so um, very likely, he led others and taught others as he spent time in that part of the world. Um, During his time, he taught others and told them about these prophecies and very likely converted some who were not Jewish, even to become uh, followers of the one true God. And so he would tell about this. Well, this is the connection point probably between the wise men or the magi that end up following this light. Now, they saw a star. It's called a star um, in the scriptures. As I say, that's the translation of it. But it's interesting, you know, as I think about it, I just my opinion, but I'm not sure that it was a star like our stars in the, you know, in the sky that we see at night. We know that those are um, uh, a long ways away and they are similar to our sun, right? We know that. But this light that the wise men saw rose in the sky. They were able to see it, but it was a light they could follow. It was a light that they could follow. And so they, um, they initially followed it to Israel or Jerusalem. They ended up meeting with King Herod. And King Herod was a false king. He did not have a right to be king of Israel by birth. He wasn't even a Jew. And so here he was placed in power by Rome. And he uh, was an illegitimate king. But this light led the wise men to, um, to, see, uh, to ask him that question. You know, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They wanted, to, they wanted to see him, and they wanted to find out where this uh, baby was born. And so Herod directed them to go to Bethlehem because he found out that's where the child would be born. Um, and, of course, they went there, and the star led them. This light led them to the place where Jesus was. Um, Jesus, uh, born in a humble beginning, yet king of the world. Um, as Jesus began to teach and preach and talk about what he came to reveal to the human race, he began to talk about a kingdom. And yet this kingdom was different as he began to talk 
it began to, uh, a different picture emerged of what this kingdom would be like. Um, in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, there's an interaction that we see between Jesus and a Pharisee. And the reality is that as Jesus began to talk about the kingdom and about what God was doing through him, it began to open people's eyes to a spiritual kingdom. When I walk into the light, when I allow God to call me into the light and I begin to examine Jesus and what he was about, the reality is that my eyes are opened to a spiritual kingdom, something that is a mystery in many ways. John 3, 5 through 6, Jesus replied in a conversation with uh, Nicodemus, a Pharisee. He said this, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a religious leader, a devout follower of God, trying to be a good man, trying to be somebody that pleased God, uh, he comes to Jesus at night. And he does that because the religious leaders of the time didn't see Jesus as a legitimate Messiah. They didn't see him as one who was from God. And they were telling the people that he was false Messiah not to follow him. They were concerned that he would gain power and prominence and he would lead people astray. And so uh, publicly they disagreed with him. They didn't uh, approve of Jesus at all. They were constantly trying to trip him up and make him look like a fool. But Nicodemus comes and reveals the truth about what many of the Pharisees saw in Jesus. He says to Jesus, listen, we know that you're from God. We know that you're from God because of the miracles and the signs that you're performing. We recognize it. And so uh, Nicodemus reveals what many saw in Jesus was they did believe in him. They did see the truth of who Jesus was, but they resisted acknowledging it publicly, right? But Jesus, uh, Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus, he says, listen, he, he says these complimentary words and uh, a very nice thing to Jesus. And Jesus' response is this verse that we just read, or verses. His response is kind of interesting. He says, listen, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. Now, why would he say that to Nicodemus in response to a compliment? Well, it's very likely that um, that Nicodemus, was, who was well-versed in the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah, knew that Jesus would come, that the Messiah would come, excuse me, and set up a kingdom. And so he comes to Jesus, perhaps looking for, uh, to get on Jesus' good side and to give him some compliments and say, hey, I want to be a part of this kingdom that you're establishing. I want to be in, on the inside. I want to be in a, I want to have a position of prominence. And so Jesus responds to him, Nicodemus, let me tell you something. You're a good man. You're following the law. You're doing, uh, doing these good things. But that's not what gets you in to this spiritual kingdom. It's different than you thought. And what's required is that you be born of water and of the spirit. And this phrase simply means to be born from above, to be born spiritually. There's an invisible spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to establish. It's, it's a spiritual rebirth that gets us access to what God is doing. The truth is that though Jesus accomplished his work here on earth, he walked and lived a sinless life. He was uh, falsely accused. He went to trial. He was given a death sentence and he went to a cross, dying on that cross, paying the sins of the world. He then was put in a tomb. And on the third day, we know that the stone was rolled away and Jesus was there no more. He rose from the dead. 
This was the work that God sent him to earth to accomplish. After accomplishing in that, Jesus went back to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of of God the Father with all dominion and power and authority given to him. He can rule all the universe. He has been given that authority by God the Father. And yet, though he is in that position, we know that Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, is still given the freedom and authority to rule in this world has a great deal of influence and control, leads the world system away from what God wants, leads people to follow a different truth and a different path, warping the truth of what God is about and what God stands for. And so we know this is true. Though Jesus is a king and is king over all the universe, Satan is allowed to reign and rule. Though one day Jesus will be established as the rightful ruler and by force people will follow him. And they will. the scripture says that one day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we know that that day is coming, but it's not here yet. Though Jesus is in the rightful place as king of the universe and of our, of our world, he's not quite yet in that position of authority where he is ruling by force and where everyone's forced to submit to him. And so Jesus talked about this invisible kingdom where he does reign and rule now, this spiritual kingdom. Many people fear God and respect God as Nicodemus did. But the reality is to be connected to God, to be inside of the movement of what God is doing requires a spiritual rebirth, being born and being transformed from the inside out. It is not following a list of of rules. It's not about being a good person. It's not about being better than your neighbors or better than the rest of your family, being more moral and good and being good uh, to the people around you. That's not what gets you access to the kingdom of God. Jesus actually said, listen, this is a supernatural, spiritual transformation that has to take place in you. If you're going to have access to the kingdom of God, to what God's doing, entrance comes in a supernatural way. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a man who discovers treasure buried in a field. He quickly covers the treasure back up. He goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field so he can have that treasure. The kingdom of God is extremely valuable. It's a place where God's will is done. It's a place where God's will is accomplished. That's why Jesus said in, uh, in the Lord's prayer that we should pray that way. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to pray that way. There's a place where God's will is done here on earth, where um, what God wants is accomplished. And that happens as those of us who love and follow Jesus submit to the rule and reign of God in our lives. The kingdom of God is a place for those who recognize they need God. It's a place for those who mourn. It's a place for the humble It's a place where justice will be done and mercy will be shown. It's a place for the pure in heart, and it's a place of peace. Jesus said that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Putting the kingdom of God first, seeking it, looking for it, understanding what it is, and that access to it happens as we put our faith and trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit God's spirit comes to dwell in our lives and renews us and regenerates us. This is the life that comes from the light that Jesus brought. 
But there are, unfortunately, there are things that keep us from the light and keep people in our world from walking into the light. One of those things is the fear of judgment. Fear of judgment makes me hide. I know when I was a kid, back in the old days, um, they used to do this thing called spanking. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but man, kids used to get a spanking. And uh, I don't know if that happens anymore, but it did happen when I was a kid. And my parents even had a paddle. Like it was this big wooden thing. It was about an inch thick. And man, it was intimidating. It was scary. And, and uh, I'm not like I got spanked all the time with it. I can't even remember getting spanked with it, but I assume that I did because they had it. But I'll tell you what, uh, the fear of that spanking uh, brought correction to my life. All right. When my mom would say, just wait till your dad gets home, man, I, I, I was filled with fear. Okay. And so I corrected my behavior. I quit beating on my brother or whatever I was doing. And you know, I straightened up and it, and it, it, it worked that way. But I remember specifically about that paddle. Uh, it really scared me. And so <clears throat> at one point I, I saw the paddle in my parents' room. I discovered it. And I thought to myself, I can eliminate this problem from my life. And so I took the paddle and I hit it. I can't remember where I hit it, but it disappeared. My parents never even said anything about it. They go, where's that paddle at? What happened? They didn't say a word. So I escaped the paddle for some period of time, probably until we moved. And then it was found again. I don't know. But the fear of judgment makes us hide. It makes us run away, right? John three eighteen through 20 says this, but anyone who does not believe in him, meaning Jesus, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Uh, listen, the truth is that King Jesus reigns in heaven. The truth is that one day we will all stand before him. There will be an accounting. The, the reality is there should be some fear of facing that judgment. That we will stand before God and give an accounting for our lives. And without some way of dealing with what we're going to face, um, there should be some fear. Because the re it is reality. It's not just make-believe. It's not just something that, oh, people that believe in the Bible or whatever believe. The reality is that that's what's going to happen. And all of humanity will face judgment day. We will stand before God. Um, and so this fear, the Bible says in this passage, causes people to run away. They don't want to come into the light because it's going to be exposed that what they're doing, their actions, their behavior is evil. And so like, I'm going to stay away from that. I don't want to walk into the light and have all of my actions and behaviors and deeds exposed. I don't want to hear that God says I'm a sinner and that I'm distant from him and that my actions are wrong and my motivations are wrong. I don't want to walk into that. I'm going to stay away from that church and maybe then I won't know. <laughs> Complete ignorance or whatever, right? There's all kinds of things that we do, but the truth is that what, what the scripture is telling us here is that that light that shines truth on our lives causes people, pushes them away. And so um, we run away from God. We don't want to be exposed. We don't want to see uh, the truth about our lives. So fear or judgment, excuse me, pushes me away, but love draws me in. Love draws me in. 
uh, John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. When we used to watch uh, football games Sunday afternoon on TV, there's always some guy in the back got right behind the cameras and held up John 3.16 on a card. Um, don't see that anymore. But John 3.16 through 18 says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. The truth is, God, though we were in a position facing judgment, facing judgment that would last for eternity, where we'd be separated from God in a conscious place of torment for all of eternity. This is the path we're all on. All of the human race. God says, listen, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm going to step in the gap. I'm going to do something about it. And so God moved. He sent Jesus, his son, to the earth to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could know him. And this act of love, overwhelming act of love, draws us to him. Instead of being afraid of judgment, we can now walk with God in peace. Romans chapter 8 says, explains it this way, starting in verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in the body, in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. The amazing news about what God has done for us is that we can walk in peace with him. Uh, The beginning of this passage says it this way. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We put our trust in Jesus. No longer do we stand condemned. No longer are we already judged. It's not as though we've stood before God yet. We haven't. But our behavior and our lack of responding to what God's done through, uh, for us through Jesus means that we're going to be judged in the end. It's as though we're already condemned. But when we put our trust in Jesus, the sacrifice that God made for us, we step into a right relationship with God. The Bible says that we're justified. We're made right in his eyes. Our sins are washed away. They're, uh, it's as though they're absolved. And we get the opportunity to know God and to walk and live in a relationship with him. No condemnation. I believe the enemy at times takes this approach with Christians, with people trying to follow God, to give them a sense of condemnation, to make them believe that they are still condemned. Because as long as we think that our actions and our behavior is what is actually saving us, our good works, our good efforts, then we have a sense of feeling condemned when we're not living up to that, when we're walking outside of God's will. But the reality is, if we're in Christ and our sins have been forgiven, there is no condemnation. Instead, the Christian, the follower of Jesus, experiences conviction. Not uh, condemnation, but conviction. When the Holy Spirit is uh, living in us and we're walking with him, his job is to bring conviction. The scriptures bring conviction to our lives. A sense of, hey, I'm doing something wrong, going the wrong direction, I need to change that. 
And so it's powerful, but it's different than condemnation. Condemnation pushes us down, makes us feel less than, makes us feel not worthy, as though there's something wrong with us and it can't be fixed. And even God's sacrifice, even God's power can't change what I've done. I'm too messed up. That's condemnation. But conviction says, hey, I need to get things in order here. The Spirit of God comes within us and does bring that yucky feeling. <laughs> that, that feeling of, I'm doing something wrong, i got to stop. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. But it moves us towards life. It moves us towards God. See, the sense of God the Father before we know God and before we put our trust in Jesus is that I'm in fear of punishment. Something's going to happen. I did something wrong. i got to go hide from Dad. And that's how we treat our relationship with God. But when we're in Christ, when, he, uh, when we're adopted and accepted into God's family, now it changes from, I messed up. I need to run to God the Father. I need his comfort. I need his help. I need, I, I'm okay if my sins in my life is exposed because I want help and healing. I'm no longer live, living in hiding, right? Trying to hide what I'm doing from everyone. But now I want to step into the light. I want to walk with God. I'm looking for help and accountability and a source of encouragement. I got to run to God. This new life or this new birth lets me walk in the light. Um, Nicodemus, Jesus told him about a spiritual rebirth. And this birth, when we experience it, allows us to walk in the light. John 3, 21 says this, But those who do what is right come into the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. There's no more fear of, uh, of, no more fear of the light when we're in Christ. There are times when we feel ashamed. There's times when we mess up and we're like, man, I shouldn't do that. I know I should be over this by now. I know that that behavior should be gone from my life. I'm a Christian. I know better than this. And we mess up and we slip and, and we fall back into uh, pursuing our sinful desires. These things happen. But the reality is there's no more fear of judgment. We're not going to spend eternity separated from God because we fall, because we're tempted and give in to it. We have a relationship with God. We walk with him and the spirit of God dwells within us. Romans 8, continuing on in verse 5, explains it this way. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please God. See, there's a transition that happens when the Spirit enters our life. We have a choice now to begin to follow Him, to listen to the Spirit, to seek His guidance and direction. If we do so, Paul goes, there's this transformation that happens in you. Your mind Stops thinking about things that are sinful, things you want to do, things that take you away from God's will. Instead, you begin to want to pursue God's direction. Your mind changes focus. As we enter this Christmas season, how important is it that we have our focus in on what the Spirit wants us to do? What God's will is as we engage a stressful, busy time of year. That transition can happen. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in, this, in the book to the Romans, this is how it happens. It's a, it's a transition in the focus of our mind. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. 
to come into a relationship with God is not just to pray a prayer, uh, you know, saying, yes, I believe. I mean, the Bible, you know, the Bible says that the demons believe and they shudder. They're terrified. Doesn't mean that they're following. Doesn't mean they're connected to God. Doesn't mean they want to be under God's rule and reign. But when we step into becoming followers of Jesus, trusting in him, yes, for salvation, but wanting to follow him through this life, asking the spirit to guide us, we begin to focus on the spirit's presence. He begins to speak to us and a change and a transformation takes place. No longer are we focused on the things that our simple nature wants. We're focused in on what God wants from us. So much happens in our lives if we listen to the spirit. Neglecting to do so, trying to accomplish and be a better person, live the Christian life and just do good things, ends in disillusionment, typically frustration, and uh, a person typically saying, this doesn't have any power. Like, there's no transformation happening in me. And the reason for that is shifting from trying to make life on your own to trying to live for God on your own is not a real transformation. Not a change has been made. The change that needs to be made is a change from the focus of my life, who I'm living for, and the power that's living in me. When I give up control, and I give God control, and I listen to the Spirit's direction and guidance, that's when transformation begins to happen. That's when I begin to become a different person. Listen, I want to encourage us as we engage this Christmas season. We're kind of into it a ways. Uh, the world around us gets pressured and stressed. Um, expectations go through the roof. We know that addictions kind of reoccur. Um, there's a lot of anxiety, depression. All of those things begin to rise up. And I just want to encourage you. People are in, in church this morning. You love God. You have a relationship with him. Don't allow that stuff to be what this season's about. Don't allow it to consume your life. Real practically, you begin to engage a family situation, something that doesn't normally happen. Maybe it's just happening because of the holidays, and there's some tension that rises up, some anxiety that rises up. I'm going to have to be around them. Man, that's going to be hard. It's going to be stressful. Listen. Ask the Spirit of God what he wants you to do in relation to that person. How does he want you to handle them? How does he want you to react to their presence? I guarantee you will change how you encounter them at this season. These are the kinds of things that God wants to do in us. It's real practical. It plays into our day-to-day life. Are we walking with him? Are we listening to him? Or are we just listening to ourselves? Are we trying to take control of the situation and manage it? Listen. That's why it takes humility. That's why it takes weakness to come under God's power and to say, listen, Holy Spirit, I want you to guide me through this. I want you to walk me through it. I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to do what you say. And he might ask you to do something pretty radical. He might ask you to pray for somebody, with somebody, extend forgiveness. I don't know. Act like you like them, you know. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to ask you to do, but I know it'll be different than what's in your heart. But it's going to be transformational. See, here's the thing, guys. When we walk in this world and we're following Jesus, there's a light that can be seen in our lives if we're following and listening to the Holy Spirit. Then others around us get to see there is something different about this. Christmas isn't just about the gifts that I give and receive. It's not just about creating a great experience and meeting the expectations. Listen, there's many of us that are disappointed at the end of all of it because it didn't live up to what we were hoping it would be. That's a typical reaction to the holiday season, the Christmas, Thanksgiving, all of it. Because we put 
the hopes and dreams of our life, the needs of our heart on this thing that can't really live up to that. The only one who can is Almighty God, King Jesus, who rules and reigns in our hearts. Listen, let's walk into this season and give him control. Let him lead us and guide us through it. Say, God, I'm not going to allow the things in this world to consume me. I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to have a good time with them, but I'm going to allow you to bring the peace that I really need. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your presence, for the willingness that you have, though we are sinful human beings, fallen and far from you, that you're willing to come and dwell inside of us. And you've not left us alone to navigate, to wander through this life and to try to figure it out, but you're willing to put your light in our hearts and to literally your spirit dwells within us and we can walk by listening to you and allowing you to take control. Father, I pray that you give us victory in that area this Christmas season, that we would stay focused on you, the light of Christmas, that we would come into the light, that we walk in the light. God, use us to be a light in this region for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.